today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson, and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Feel free to subscribe, tell all your friends. Coming up on today's show, uh, the SNC-Lavalin scandal and Jody Wilson-Raybould. It has damaged the Liberals, but has it helped the Conservatives or the NDP? Canada has decided to follow suit and has banned the Boeing 737 MAX 8s from its airspace. What does that mean to our airlines? And we tell kids if they work hard, they can get ahead. Now we're finding out that some of the biggest universities are accepting bribes to get kids that aren't necessarily qualified in. What does that say about the American dream? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The SNC-Lavalin story continues to dominate the, Hill, uh, the headlines. The Hill Times says that this situation is right for the opposition to capitalize on. However, uh, although support for, the, uh, for Trudeau is falling, is waning, um, nobody else seems to be taking advantage of that. Let's bring in Michael Tope, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. He's with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Well, my pleasure, Scott, and don't forget, I'm on my cell phone for work. Uh, well, that's good. Well, that's allowed. Are you, am, I, am I barking up a wrong tree here? I mean, I couldn't believe the amount of people that were whining about this yesterday. And it seemed to be those on the left that, that are just looking for a reason to pick on the, on the premier. And I get that. I get the, the partisan politics. Sure. But where's the common sense here? No, there isn't. It's obviously not one of the topics we're talking about. But no, I mean, it is typically the left who whines and complains about these issues. But again, coming from me, that'd be a predictable comment. But certainly when it comes to cell phones, good heavens. Firstly, you know, the Ontario government is on the right side of history, so to speak, in doing something like this, because <coughs> excuse me, our children use our cell phones way, way too much in various environments, including non-work-related environments and in the school system. We know that. Sure, there will be exceptions made, as you've probably discussed in your program, for kids who have, you know, learning difficulties, autism, and various other things that require some attention. But for the vast majority of them, they don't need it. So, no, you're absolutely not wrong. And and what's the problem with putting the power in the T-shirts to say, hey, kids, it's time to bring out the devices. Hey, it's time to put them away. I mean, my goodness. Show me an employer that that allows you to yak on your phone all day. This is just ridiculous. Exactly. But unfortunately, that's the sort of radical thinking we can't have. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And again, I just can't believe how how party stripes started, uh, you know, uh, uh, showing their ugly heads on this issue. It's just it's surprising to me. Anyway, let's move on. SNC Lavalin. Uh, let's talk about this uh, interesting uh, story in the Hill Times in regard to how uh, this is obviously hurting the prime minister, but nobody else seems to be taking advantage of uh, of it. What should the opposition be doing that they're not doing? Uh, many have said they should just stay out of it because it's an internal problem. That being said, it's not when you come to certainly uh, the Jody Wilson-Raybould issue is, but certainly not when it comes to granting SNC-Lavalin this deal. How do you explain the opposition not getting better traction on this? I would actually dispute that to some degree. I think that people, you know, I agree with one point you made, which is that it's really not the opposition party's fight. This is not our battle. So, you know, it's not the Tories' battle, who I'm aligned with. It's not the NDP's battle, the Green Party, etc. So really, we are certainly, I mean, all of them are certainly players in this little drama, so to speak. But at the same time, it's really a liberal issue, and they just keep falling on their sword day after day, week after week. Just let them do it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as a strategy. You don't always have to be on the offensive in politics. Sometimes being on the defensive 
works nicely or just sitting on the sidelines for the most part. However, that being said, I think that where the opposition parties will have a pretty good battle, depending on what happens today after about one o'clock in the afternoon, is if the House of Commons Justice Committee decides for the second time not to invite Jody Wilson-Raybould back to give testimony. I think that would be an easy thing for them to attack, simply because, one, Ms. Wilson-Raybould has already said herself that she'd be willing to come back and provide a second round of testimony. So, you know, you don't obviously have a witness who doesn't wish to reappear in front of the, the Justice Committee. Number two, the majority-controlled, uh, liberal-dominated Justice Committee you know, rejected it by a five to four margin, which basically went along party lines. It just looks bad for the liberals to do this a second time because it will simply show that they either have something to hide or they don't wish to discuss this issue any longer. And certainly from a political standpoint, you can understand it. I wrote about it in my syndicated column this week. Uh, Susan Delacourt has a good piece in the Toronto Star, her column about it too. Both right and left recognize that the Liberals have been getting hammered on a daily basis over this issue, and they'd like this problem to go away. The problem is, Scott, this problem isn't going to go away, and it will get worse if they don't reinvite her back in there, because it just simply shows that they want to hear from, say, the privy clerk, Michael Wernick, on two occasions. They're more than happy to invite people like Gerald Butts and Nathalie Droulet to the, to the committee, but if they don't hear the person who really, where the, where the whole issue started, where this whole matter evolved from, which was Jody Wilson-Raybould's personal experience with the Prime Minister's office and the allegation that she was pressured to get involved in a criminal proceeding with NSC Lavlin, well, I mean, really, quite frankly, if the Liberals are not willing to hear from her again, they can kiss the election goodbye, that being this federal election, because Canadians who already have a lack of trust in this Liberal government It'll be gone if they don't do it this time. Are you surprised they've dragged it out this long? I mean, it just seems to keep the story continuing into the next week. Why not just get it done and get it over with? Well, yeah, I agree with you. I would think that would be the best strategy. I mean, certainly I proposed it. Many others have, too, because you don't want this certain this type of situation to keep festering in the public at large because new problems, new issues come into play. And, as we've watched with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whenever he goes in front of the microphone to speak about it, he basically starts his own branch of this controversy in another direction because he seems to contradict himself on a pretty regular basis in terms of what the narrative or storyline is supposed to be here. And when you keep contradicting yourself, especially with it being the leader of the country, that's disastrous. So, yes, you would think that they would just want to put... Wilson Raybould back on, you know, invite her back to the committee, let her speak again. If they need to reinvite Wernick, Butts, Drouin, whoever, you go from there. And from that point on, that should basically bring it to a halt. The fact that they won't do it, the fact that we're entering the fifth week and she hasn't been invited back a second time when she was willing to come back is just a mess, a complete and utter mess. And it, it really shows how poorly the Liberals are in terms of strategic communications or just the nature of strategy in general, because most parties, if faced with the same problem, would have ended it by now. So are you surprised that Andrew Scheer is not resonating more with Canadians at this point, or is it better just to let this unravel and do the slow climb? He doesn't need to resonate at this point. I completely disagree with people who are saying this. 
And quite frankly, if you look at the poll, Scott, he just sits there. He doesn't have to say or do anything. And according to some, he's up as high as nine points. Let, let's call it a margin of between the lowest, I think, is Nick Nanos, who has him around two points, so margin of error. The highest was Angus Reid at, at nine. So it's between there. We'll say five to nine just for argument's sake. You know, he has basically been sitting in second place for quite a while, and by not by doing absolutely nothing except just making the occasional comment that Canadians want transparency, they want openness, they want the truth about what happened with Jody Wilson-Raybould and NSC Lavalin, it's obviously just propelling him into the upper echelons. So it's not necessarily that he's resonating or not. I think that once the Tory platform has been completely introduced, which it will be in, in due course for this upcoming federal election, then people will be able to parse whether they like Mr. Shear, dislike him, whether they feel he's a strong leader or he wouldn't be a strong leader, etc. But for right now, in the midst of this controversy, he doesn't need to hammer on a daily basis. He's doing the right thing, I believe. I'll even go as far to say that Jagmeet Singh calling for a public inquiry is doing the right thing as well. They're just playing, you know, they're, they're, they're playing possum a little bit, and they're coming out and sort of taking their openings when they see them. And too much to ask for res- too much to ask for resignation right off the right out of the hopper, uh, you know, uh, lost the load right there and nothing else to fall back on. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, look, I concur with you that's not the way I would have started. I, I agree. I mean, it's easy to say resign or else. And unfortunately, he got stuck in that mode for what about a week or so. He's, he's still occasionally saying it, from what I understand, on the speaking circuit. But by and large, he's sort of moving away from that into sort of following Jody Wilson-Raybould's train of thought that she wants to speak her truth. So what he's basically arguing now is, well, she's done it once. She wants to come back again. Let's let her do it and try to basically ensure that she speaks it properly and, and talks about things properly. But more importantly, and this is where I think Andrew Shear is doing the right thing, and I talked about it in my column this week, he wants Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, to remove the gag order or cabinet or caucus confidentiality, if you wish, in terms of the conversation she had, that being Jody Wilson-Raybould, after she left as the attorney general right. and minister of justice for Canada. So in other words, any discussions that she may have had either privately, publicly with the prime minister and others, or things she did when she was briefly Veterans Affairs Minister. That is actually extremely important, and it doesn't matter that Andrew Scheer said it. You know, it could have been any leader. That's, the, that's exactly what needs to happen. And Scheer has been kind of pushing this along for the past few days. So while I agree with you, starting with resignation was, was not the best strategy, this is the best strategy he's had through the last few weeks. And I think it's the one that could resonate the most with Canadians especially if today the majority of Liberals decide once again not to invite her to repeat, to have a second round of testimony. Is the he said, she said part of this distracting away from the real issue, which is SNC-Lavalin uh, being turned down for a, a special deal and then asking for that to be uh, reversed? Uh, will the new Attorney General do what Jody Wilson-Raybould refused to do? And if that's the case, why doesn't Justin Trudeau just put that to bed and that will that will simmer a lot of this down? Why doesn't he make a call on the SNC-Lavalin as opposed to still waiting to see if there's a chance that, uh, you know, things can be changed? 
Well, I mean, I can't speak for the new uh, Attorney General, David Lametti, but I mean, I think one of the things that was kind of intriguing, which we heard from Jody Wilson-Raybould herself, was that when he was brought in or he became the new Attorney General, as you remember, one of the first things that was going to be on his plate was NSC Lovelin. So in other words, he probably would have been more, shall we say, interventionist than Wilson-Raybould would have been. Although, again, because of all that's happened, we're not really sure. As to what the new AG will or will not do, I don't know. I think it's fair to say that probably he would be more willing or more, or at least have less irritation over doing the bidding of the prime minister's office or the prime minister on this matter. But again, we don't know for sure. Because of all that has happened with NSC Lovelin, including a ruling from the federal court, which basically said that they're unwilling to sort of investigate the whole thing because it's past their purview. I think that basically he, Mr. Lametti and others are just sort of forced to keep their hands tied and not do anything at this stage. And the federal government, that being the liberals, can't do very much either because NSC Lovelin is basically wrapped on every page of every newspaper and magazine and every telecast of radio and TV in the country. There's absolutely nothing they can do. You know, and there were lots of things they could have done beforehand. They chose not to. And the fact that we still don't know the full story between what happened between Jody Wilson-Raybould and the prime minister's office, and we may never know every detail, of course, that sort of leaves everything up in the air, too. Look, from start to finish, I think it's fair to say that the Liberals have handled this controversy atrociously. I mean, you couldn't do it any worse, not even just from a strategic position, just in general. I think most people, even if they had zero in terms of amount of political knowledge, could have actually handled the situation mm. much better. Because most people would know that, fine, you don't have to give them the, everything in the kitchen sink, but you can't lie, or you, if you're going to lie, at least lie in such a, a place where you're following your own footsteps. All they've done is thrown out things from, at the very beginning, there were no conversations, to now finding out there have been there were enormous amounts of conversations, and looking at Wilson-Raybould's meticulous testimony, you can see that there was a lot more she wanted to say and do and realizes that she's restricted by this gag order. I mean, the liberals have just handled this poorly, and there's no point in them coming out with a smiling face saying how much confidence they have in their leader, Justin Trudeau, because he's handled it the worst of all. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy, syndicated, uh, Troy Media Syndicated columnist and contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thank you so much. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good week. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We certainly heard about what happened with the Ethiopian Airlines crash uh, last week and uh, subsequently various uh, airlines and countries uh, sounding the alarm and, and being concerned that this crash was quite similar to one that happened uh, in Indonesia last year, and it appeared to be a fault with the aircraft. Uh, it being a brand new aircraft, uh, all the latest uh, bells and whistles, but perhaps too many, too much, and not enough control by the pilot. That is the fear. That is the question that needs to be answered, or the questions that need to be answered. And until those questions are answered, uh, other countries, other uh, airlines have started grounding these. Uh, it was just announced, uh, Mark Garneau, Transportation Minister, just announced that Canada will now be following suit. Here's what he had to say. 
This safety notice restricts commercial passenger flights from any operator of the Boeing 737 MAX 8 or MAX 9 variant aircraft, whether domestic or foreign, from arriving, departing, or overflying Canadian airspace. Uh, let's bring in Jos- uh, Joseph Yeremi- uh, Yeremian. Uh, he is the president of Thermodyne Engineering Limited, uh, director at the Ontario Aerospace Council, and is with us now. Joseph, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Are you surprised that this has taken as long as it has? Are you surprised we did it? Uh, no, I'm not surprised because uh, officials, uh, especially governments uh, and authorities, they do not take... Uh, hazardous uh, decisions, uh, saying that, okay, wow, everybody is talking about this, let's ground it. No. They have to have uh, sufficient uh, evidence or sufficient information so that they can make decisions. And until this morning, nobody said it officially, what I was predicting uh, a few days ago of what had happened. And even so, uh, they are uh, they are just t- uh, taking this decision based on the information that they have received. But it is uh, that information is not 100% confirmed yet. So they are making the public safer rather than waiting until uh, the final uh, official information comes. So did the others ground these prematurely? Not prematurely, but precautionary measures uh, and temporary measures, making sure that uh, nothing will happen. Uh, because the difference is that uh, the difference between uh, Canada, United States, and the rest of the countries that they have taken the decision ahead of time, because uh, Canada and the United States pilots, they follow the exact procedures uh, that they have to, uh, the way they run the airplanes. But other countries, they may or may, uh, other countries, pilots, they may or may not follow the exact uh, procedure to, uh, to run the airplanes, to fly the airplanes. So that's the thing that uh, other countries, they have taken quick measures compared to Canada. Canada and the United States, they are more confident about their, uh, their pilots because their, uh, their training is more rigorous, maybe, uh, or their uh, education is more, uh, the, their experience is more. Uh, they have much more flying hours. Uh, they have much more, many, many more uh, airplanes of the same type. So that's why uh, Canada is more confident, relatively more confident than other countries in flying these airplanes. Uh, so, and I'd heard this before that uh, North American carriers felt confident their pilots were better equipped to handle this. They knew the situation in advance right. if something had happened. Is that right. accurate? Yes, yes, because uh, the Ethiopian, uh, sorry, the. Uh, uh, the uh, Lion Air. Uh, Lion Air uh, uh, information came uh, as uh, saying that the nose was more uh, was going higher than what is supposed to to be, and also just lately the Ethiopian uh, airline uh, info satellite information confirmed the case. So that is the similarity between the two, saying that the, when taking off during the initial uh, ascent. The nose of the airplane was more than the normal uh, takeoff. So when that happens, the, uh, immediately the controller brings the nose down 
for safety reason, right. not uh, just haphazard. So for safety reason. But uh, the software, to my knowledge, it was... Uh, it uh, there is a mechanism that you can, uh, the pilot can override right. that signal, so that had not been 100% uh, trained uh, passed, or uh, pilots had not been 100% trained on this. So and when this sort of when the plane tried to put itself into this maneuver, the yes. the pilots didn't know how to disengage this. Exactly, either he was not trained or he did not have time uh, through the confusion. Uh, or uh, he didn't know about it. Uh, so uh, uh, Mark Garneau said today uh, that the reason that he grounded uh, these now was yes. because of new information. Is this yes. the new information he's speaking of, that it's via satellite uh, yes. imagery? Yes. The satellite uh, detects uh, the route and also the vertical variations of the airplane. Right. And that's wh- where it triggered. The route was, the, there was no problem in the route, right. but uh, the vertical variation uh, kind of indicated that that's what had happened. But the main information comes from the data recorder. Right. Uh, so uh, would the other uh, airlines have made this decision to ground these before this new information was available? Uh, um, maybe, because that kind of information was available, uh, saying that if the, uh, if the nose of the airplane is uh, higher than what it's supposed to be, then uh, go and uh, deactivate that signal. Right. So that kind of information was there, but not very commonly known or very not much uh, advertised. Did Canada have a choice but to ground these, considering so many around us? I'm guessing the only place you could have flown these is into North America, or in and around North America, because yes. it appeared that, that a lot of Europe was grounding these as well. Right, yes. So uh, that's why, uh, as I said, uh, the North American pilots are trained and they follow the exact training procedure, not only training, but flight procedures, so that they do not exceed the limit, even though it could uh, result in financial damages, but uh, saving lives is much more important than finance. Um, Have there been any other complaints about this aircraft other than these two accidents? So in other words, have there been situations where this has happened, but the pilot has uh, maneuvered out of it or or got it under control? Uh, So in other words, are there there instances or situations where this has happened at at other times with this plane? No, no. Uh, It did not happen because uh, most of pilots, they follow exact procedure in flying. So uh, maybe these two pilots, uh, they uh, overrided the, uh, the instructions or the procedure how to fly that airplane in during the takeoff. Maybe they were rushing, saying that, okay, I'm uh, going to rush and uh, put the nose a little bit higher so that uh, we get uh, there on time. Mm-hmm. So that could have been uh, the motive uh, of the pilots. So now that uh, Canada has banned these from Canadian airspace, uh, what about the United States? What happens there? The United States, of course, uh, they are informed uh, about all these uh, things. And uh, for the United States, it's a bigger uh, decision. They don't make uh, decisions uh, haphazard uh, 
uh, quickly. So I'm not saying that uh, Canada did, but Canada has known about this and they have taken precautionary measures uh, until the, uh, they uh, confirm uh, about the situation and until the situation is resolved. And re- not only resolved, but confirmed that it was resolved by tests or by analysis or uh, whatever method they use uh, to validate Uh, the uh, new or the patch to the software. How long can they keep these planes grounded? It's very hard to to predict uh, as uh, the information, the most information will come from the data recorder. If data recorder indicates something, then uh, the grounding will be there or instructions to pilots saying that or a patch to the software. So whichever comes first, uh, they will uh, they will get these airplanes uh, flying. Uh, Boeing they, yesterday was commenting about it already issuing a software update. Do we yes. know what that was about, and would that have been a factor I, in the crash? Uh, yes, yes. I think uh, this is related to the fluctuations of the nose and the command of the software to bring the nose down. So right. that's the main issue that they are handling it right now. Uh, is it odd for them to issue this update after a plane has crashed? I mean, why wouldn't this have been issued after the Indonesian crash? Uh, well, it takes time for investigators to come to a conclusion saying that this was the case. And uh, satellite images uh, that indicated today is more uh, confirms uh, that what I was predicting before on many uh, TV channels uh, that I came the last couple of days, two, three days. So uh, it was information, but it was not a confirmed information. But now it is kind of confirmed information, but uh, uh, confirming information from the satellite, which is not 100% confirmation. The data recorder is direct confirmation of what had happened. So once, uh, and I understand that, uh, that the, the black boxes are on their way uh, yes. to the United States uh, for examination, um, or, or certainly to some other place, um, will, that, will, that, will it provide definitive answers to these questions? Yes, most likely because uh, if the uh, if the data recorder is, or the black box is damaged to the point that that information is erased or uh, damaged, then it's a big problem. But most likely it will not be uh, damaged, and the, the the information coming from the black box will give uh, the exact cause of the crash. Uh, we certainly heard uh, before this decision was made by Mark Garneau, um, the uh, flight attendants, their unions, uh, anyone associated with flying on the planes were were upset that um, that employees couldn't control whether they were on these planes or not. Is the United States not going to be having the same sort of pressure uh, to, to ground these things until something comes up? Uh, as I said, uh, the United States is the leading uh yeah. leading uh, edge of this technology. And uh, they have many, many cases, and uh, the number of airplanes is much, much more than any other country right. that they are flying this uh, airplane. So uh, their decision has to be uh, confirmed, and uh, they should be 100% or 1,000% uh, uh, correct 
in uh, doing uh, a patch to the uh, software. Like uh, there's a theory saying that if something is not broken, don't fix it. So they may, uh, like uh, this theory of the uh, nose coming up uh, is uh, and control uh, to bring it down uh, may be the main cause, but uh, the data recorder also gives signals of many other features of the airplane. So it could be that, let's say, the, uh, the engine or the flapper or the hydraulic system was uh, giving uh, uh, this kind of uh, erroneous signal, or if it, is, uh, not if it was not working properly. So the data recorder is, does not only give the, uh, the altitude or the angle of the airplane, but it also gives many, many other thousands of uh, information about all the instruments that are in the airplane. So with uh, the U.S. not grounding these and the you know, other parts of the world, including Canada now, that are grounding these, uh, is this an airplane, is this an aircraft issue, or is it a training issue? Uh, it is a training and software issue because uh, so far they do not know. I mean, uh, training, yes. Uh, I agree with you that every pilot should know about this situation, saying that, please, when you take off, do not exceed the threshold limit uh, of the angle of the airplane when you are uh, ascending. So if they follow that procedure, uh, it's very simple. Don't just fly the airplane as it is supposed to be flown. Right. So that's the instruction. That's why the Canadians and United States peop uh, pilots are more uh, cautious about these uh, situations. So you're getting the feeling, and again, this is all uh, just assumption at this point, that perhaps the pilot was trying to take it up too quickly, the nose up too quickly, then automatically the airline or the air uh, the jet airliner just fights that and, and yes. drives the nose down. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. So far, so far, it's that's the indication. Joseph Yaraminian uh, has yeah. been with us, President Thermodyne Engineering Limited, Director of the Ontario Aerospace Council. Joseph, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You are welcome. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So let's cheer up a little bit and have some festivities. You got the music? Hit it. Is this it? Is it like 10 seconds? Oh my God. I was hoping to sing Happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday, dear Alyssa. PR person extraordinaire. Happy Birthday to you and that many was more. So unexpected. Well, well you know, so you just don't realize how tacky this show can get at times. I thought that you were like a virtuoso, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course you did. Happy birthday to you. Thank you so very much. I hope you're having a fabulous day. I am, and this is just another highlight of my day. There you go. You. Well, you know, if, if I'd known, I would have I, I would have brought a gift and had at least a cupcake with a candle in it of some sort. <laughs> Next time. But instead, I'll just cheers you with my water. Have a good one. There you go. Thank you. All right. You're more than welcome. And I understand celebrating with the whole family. Got mom there, too? Yes, oh, I do. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. And, and how did you squeeze this in? I can't believe that during the I celebration. I can't believe I did it either. Like, I why didn't you just say to Liz, it's my birthday. Get the hell away from me. Yeah, I don't know. Because you know what? We're about to talk about a subject that I'm quite 
angry and passionate about. So I thought, I can't give up. I can't give it up. I, I can spare my 10 minutes. You know, it's interesting. Um, my wife said the same thing uh, last night. She couldn't believe this. She, just, she, she started to freak out about it. And what is it about this story that makes people upset? And basically, uh, millionaires, college athletic coaches, uh, all of it, uh, it seems that rich people are paying certain people uh, to get their kids into these uh, world-renowned schools. And now there's like been like 50 people caught up in some sort of sweep, an investigation, U.S. investigation on this. And, of course, Felicity uh, Huffman uh, and others caught up in this. Uh, why does this resonate with people? Why are people pissed off about this? Because, you know, this takes away spots from kids who may have worked really hard and kids who got in under false pretenses, maybe unbeknownst to them. But honestly, it is the height of of parents, of the, of the helicopter parent, and quite frankly, it has reached a new low. I, when I heard about this, I just thought, I mean, they went to such an extent that they took a picture of a rowing crew yeah. and superimposed their own kid's face on the crew. Yeah. So maybe there was some kid going and working out five hours a day in the gym and giving up uh, other things and, you know, having a, a part-time job in order to pay for school. And here comes along this entitled parent who has, a, I think, a very healthy sense, Scott, of narcissism. Because why else would it be so important for a parent to pay, go to all that expense to get their kid into a school so that the, at the end of the day they can say, oh, well, you know, little Isabel, she got into USC. Honestly, I'm absolutely appalled by the whole scenario. Should we be surprised, though? I mean, you know, um, I remember my, you know, my cynical mother used to always say, you know, it doesn't matter what you know, it's who you know, and, and how much you got to back it all up. Uh, was she right? Well, your mother was right, but I think that that's within a certain situation. For example, you know, if you want to help your kid get a job in a certain area and you have a connection to get them in the door legitimately, will you look at my kid's resume and then the rest is up to them? That's fine. Hmm. But to actually pay and lie and cheat other people out of a position that they may have deserved more than your kid, it really boggles my mind. And you know what? The other issue is this, Scott. Yeah, we'd all like our kids to go to, like, you know, maybe an Ivy League university. But at the end of the day, there's a school for everybody. Hmm. And nobody really doesn't give you a job because of the university that you did or did not go to. And the other issue is this. Even if you get into, let's say, a top-tier school and you do it on false pretenses, who's to say that your kid is actually ready for that school, hmm. that your kid will be able to handle the rigor of studying and the expectations of that school. So while you have this ephemeral sense of accomplishment, at the end of the day, you're really just setting your kid up for failure. Uh, I've had my kid tell me stories, listen to this, where she's sitting next to uh, a kid's desk who has their laptop open. The kid isn't even in class. They're out to the washroom some way or somewhere, and she can see that the kid's assignment is being done on the top of the laptop, and the kid isn't even uh, behind the keyboard. The parent's doing it from home. Think about that. Okay. Think that about that. My mind. Think about that. that. Absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. So the kid's not even in the class, but her laptop's open, and all of a sudden things are being written on the top of her laptop. Because you're sharing it in Google Docs, so you can see when somebody. Yeah, he's looking over, it. and hey, look, she's not even here, and look, she's apparently typing something. And how 
is that going to help them in the real world? How is that going to help how, them? The, you know what the hard part is, uh, Alyssa, how do you explain to your kid this lesson? How do you explain to your kid that, yeah, after they get the job, after they get whatever, after they achieve this, they may not be able to keep it because they cheated to get there? Well, know. how and also, what is the other message that you're sending to your kid that we never, ever thought you were smart enough to even try and get into school by the regular processes and that we had to rig the process to make sure that you actually did get into school? Like, how does that make them feel? I mean, I have to tell you that for every parent that is on this list, they all have kids. And how do their kids feel? I mean, it is a, it is a national embarrassment, yeah. an international embarrassment, and it's something that's going to hang over their heads for the rest of their lives. You were talking about uh, helicopter parents. And, and, and another antidote, uh, a friend of ours who works for a bank and <laughs> was hiring a university kid, their first job, into the banking industry and offered them the job, hoping, thinking they, they would take it, and instead they got a call from the parents asking for more higher remuneration, more you money for that's the kid. not the first time I've heard that. And, and, the, and, and the guy just literally took the application. Yeah, and that that's okay to do. He dropped it in the trash, said, oh, next, and went to the next one. Just like, I can know. you believe that? And then can you imagine? I wonder if the parent called back and said, well, you know, why didn't you end up hiring little Johnny? Yeah, yeah. Well, look in the mirror and then call me back. So you, you, you immediately jump to the, to the angle that this is helicopter parenting gone mad. Is it that or is it just our morals have fallen through the floorboards? I think that getting into college, as they say in, in the States, is a much different uh, thing or onus on the kids than it is in Canada. Because, you know, I've heard of parents that, you know, pay a company or a, a mentor or a tutor, let's say $125,000 from the time they're in grade nine. This is not unusual for parents that can afford it. And what they do is they make sure that you have all the marks that you need in all the subjects that you're supposed to teach, that you're supposed to take, that you're volunteering in the places that are highly rated, that you're playing on sports teams, that they make sure that each year of your high school career is, is scheduled in such a way that it makes it very appealing for the type of school you want to get into. Yeah. Now, I would say that this is mainly for really Ivy League schools or, you know, top tier schools that look at this. Um, so this sort of method of doing what it takes to get your kid into school from in, in the U.S. anyways is not unusual. What this scam does is that it takes it one other level. Yeah, so instead of yeah. the kid actually doing all the work, the parents do the work for them. Right. And that is the great injustice of, it's all, of, of it all. So um, d- the American dream. For years, for decades, you know, post-World War II, you can come here, uh, North America, you can build a life for your family, you can literally do what you want if you've got the determination uh, to get there and, and, and do the work. Is that waning? Is the American dream fixed? No, I think that we're talking about a very, very small percentage of the population here, Scott. I don't even know how many kids this really affects over the long run. But I think the American dream is live and well uh, for immigrants who can get into the States. I think that, you know, it's still looked at as the land of opportunity compared to other, other countries in the world. So I don't think the American dream is waning. I just think that it's taken on a, a different veneer that you have to achieve a certain type of American dream in order to be recognized, in order to be lauded by your peers, in order to ensure that you have a great career going forward. So 
but but this will happen. You know, things happen for a reason. If your kid doesn't get into school A, they'll get into school B, and it might just be the better option, and they might even thrive better there. So rather than trying to manufacture, your kid is only going to work at his or her ability, period. If your kid was not an A-plus student, there's no way, even if you finagled his or her way into Yale, that they're going to be an A-plus student there. Well, we've already seen universities who will judge high school marks. They will weigh them uh, depending on what the school is because they realize that schools that have put kids in at high marks necessarily not, have not necessarily achieved uh, that potential because it appears that some schools, high schools marks are a little bit more liberal than others. So uh, we know of universities that are already doing that research uh, when, they're, when they're looking at admissions uh, you know, coming into the school. Uh, that being said, um, I keep coming back to the moral compass slipping. You're not as quick to jump there as I am. No, I mean, honestly, I think is it it's like I'm? A, I'm just thinking it's all about oneself, and I guess it's always been. But it, now it just seems screw everybody else. I'm going to cheat and lie and do whatever. I, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Yeah, but the, you know what? Listen, you often, if you go through a LinkedIn feed, you often see this quote by Richard Branson, and it says, you know, if you don't know it, you'll learn it on the job. And and that may be so, but faking it till sure. you make it. Listen, I've been working since I was 25, and we don't need to say how old I am today, even though it's my birthday, but it's, suffice to say I've been working a really long time. And those people who try to fake it till they make it, Honestly, they've got an 18 to 24 months a time span, yep. and you see it all through their resumes. Mm-hmm. It's two years, two years, two years. I call them the two-year people. Yeah. That if they actually did what they were good at or what their skill set, uh, you know, showed that they were good at, as opposed to trying to pretend they were good at something. I mean, this only catches up to you. And if you continue to do this type of thing, you know, well into your 40s or 50s, trust me, you're in for a very, very big fall. So, you know, and I think Scott, you know, is this the demise of values? This story has been in the top three rotation of the news since yesterday when it broke. And I actually had to read it twice to make sure that I was actually reading something legitimate. And it's so shocking, and it's so shocking to so many people, which is kind of heartening, right? It's heartening that people find it shocking and don't think, well, how come I wasn't in on it? Yeah, yeah. No, again, and I said that yesterday, that, you know, it's going to be, uh, the real question is how do we react to this as opposed to why it happened and how it happened? Is this becoming the norm? Is this becoming acceptable? Or are we going to stand up and say, hey, you know, this isn't right? And doesn't this fuel things like the populist movement? No wonder people are frustrated. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> I'm not even going to walk that road. <laughs> but Come on, it's your birthday. Grab some cake and let's go. <laughs> I've got to get back to my cake, Scott. <laughs> I know, I'm keeping you longer than I should have, but go ahead. I know, I know, but I... I that's why I sang you a song at the beginning. I know, I had a feeling that there's a ruse going on here, but at the end of the day... Look, I'm faking it. How, how, what does that say about me? Instead of this being genuine and me singing happy birthday to it, I'm just trying to do it to get you to come on long. I'm as bad as everybody else. <laughs> All right. And on that note. <laughs> All right. So uh, what about these people's, and I'll let you go. What, what about these people's careers? Uh, what happens to them? Well, you know, that is a really interesting thing because, you know, Lori Laughlin is married to a very, very successful fashion designer, Massimo. If you ever walk through Target, you see all his mass market stuff there. And, you know, uh, Felicity Huffman is uh, married to William H. Macy, who hasn't been Mm. named, by the way. So what happens to their careers? 
you know, I think it's like anything else. I think they're in the doghouse for 18 to 24 months, and then they start to crawl back out. But the only way they can be redeemed, and this is my last point, Scott, but the only way they can be redeemed is by doing the work and showing that they uh, that they have remorse and trying to undo or make themselves um, better or learning from their mistakes. Is this a Donald Trumpism? He's lowered the bar so much that now we think it's okay to cheat, it's okay to insult people, it's okay to act like a jackass? No, I just think that people have that all on their own, Scott. All right, uh, I've stretched it out as long as I possibly can. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR, and birthday girl today. Uh, happy Thank birthday. You, happy birthday. Have a great one. Say hi to your mom for us. I certainly will. All right, you take care. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.